and welcome to Let the Stone Speak. I'm Brent Noctegal, your host. This is a podcast where we discuss the latest in biblical archaeology from here in Israel. And today I've got three separate stories for you and some really interesting video. Uh, we've got the discovery or the rediscovery of the Ishmael papyrus, a first, uh, a, one of the very few papyri that have been found from the first temple period. This one has been recently deciphered by Shmuel Achitov of Ben-Gurion University. We'll be talking to him or showing an interview that I gave with that I took with him just a couple of days ago, an exclusive interview. Uh, then we'll be talking about a silver uh, coin from the fourth year of the revolt that was just handed back to the state of Israel. Very interesting discovery. And then finally, we'll be showing a really breaking discovery, video of a breaking discovery of a late Bronze Age tomb that was discovered uh, on the coast of, of southern Israel, Palmachim. And uh, there's some really incredible video going around of when the Antiquities Authority first uh, broke into or came into the, the tomb, discovered it with just an, a mass of vessels and uh, bodies. And it's it's absolutely incredible. And so I just checked... Uh, just an hour ago, and finally there is one news story about it, uh, and so we'll be quoting from that, plus showing you the video. So you want to stick with us today, and if you aren't watching this, uh, watching this, you're just listening to it, I do advise you to watch it because of the video that we'll be showing on today's program, and then also in the forthcoming programs as well. We'll be heavily focusing on interviews with some of these Israeli uh, scientists, Israeli academics that are making these tremendous discoveries. I would like to mention also our Let the Stone Speak magazine. This is a magazine that comes out uh, six times per year. It's currently 32 pages, but our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, decided to increase it to 40 pages. So the next edition and from there on after, it is going to be 40 pages coming out every two months, and it focuses on biblical archaeology and biblical history, and you can receive a copy of this magazine. Full color, absolutely beautiful, uh, available to you wherever you are in the world for free. Uh, you can obviously just get the PDF of it if you want by going to our website, armstronginstitute.org, and you can read about it there or download a copy there. But I suggest you get the hard copy, uh, like many people are. We've got about 290 subscribers here in Israel right now. Many of them came to, or some of them came to our opening two weeks ago. And then we also have uh, over a thousand uh, more from other parts of the world. Um, but this is definitely a, a magazine with a growing audience, and you'll want to get your hands on a copy. So if you do want a copy, go to our website, armstronginstitute.org. Simply scroll down, and you'll find a place where the Let the Stone Speak magazine is offered, or you can write an email to letters at armstronginstitute.org with your uh, address, and we'll make sure you get a copy. So first of all, I want to talk about this ancient papyrus. This is kind of an ancient piece of, of, well, it is an ancient piece of writing, a lot of people are under in the impression that they didn't. A lot of there was low literacy in ancient Judah or Israel around this time. Uh, that perhaps not too many people wrote down things on paper. This was the ancient paper. This papyrus made of reeds. Um, um, perhaps they just wrote on potsherds uh, because they didn't didn't know how to manufacture, or they were uh, not um, sophisticated enough to manufacture the papyrus, but. This is becoming a more greater, a more and more untenable position, and this ancient papyrus that 
came to light recently and was published. Well, it hasn't been published fully yet. It will be brought to uh, documentation and publishing um, to the to the public here very shortly. But it was presented for the first time last Thursday to the Bible Lands. Um, well, the decipherment of it to the at the Bible Lands Museum. This is their first uh, Judean Desert Conference. It was an all day event. Uh, we went there. A number of us from the institute went there to hear from Professor Achitov. Uh, one of the great epigraphers remaining in Israel, uh, a long-standing professor, Professor Emeritus from Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. And he gave, it was all in Hebrew, so uh, we did we did film it. Um, however, we asked if it was okay to put on the whole uh, presentation of his on the podcast, but he said he'd rather wait for the publication to come out. Uh, that's going to come out very shortly. However, he did afford us a five-minute interview at the end to discuss some of these details about this piece of ancient piece of writing. Uh, so stick around for that. I'll be playing that in a couple of minutes. So we will have an article about this. Uh, one of our authors is working on it already, basically describing what this inscription says. It's, it's half an inscription written in Paleo-Hebrew, uh, so written in ancient uh, First Temple period Hebrew, the dating of it based both on carbon dating of the papyrus and then also the writing style as well dates to around the the 6th century uh, end of the 7th early 6th century so right around the time period that Jeremiah the prophet was was active right before Judah fell to the Babylonians this history that you're probably very familiar with and it is written to somebody called Ishmael that's why it's going it's being called the Ishmael papyrus a number of words on on the papyrus talk about how it's only a partial inscription, but it says to Ishmael send, meaning this is a some type of document that's telling this man Ishmael to send something to them. Uh, there are another couple of of insignificant words in a way, and and Mr. Achitov will explain that Professor Achitov in his interview. However, what I do think is interesting about this this is the third such first temple period papyrus that was found this this wasn't found in a controlled scientific excavation and then the chain of custody comes from the dig directly to the lab directly to the epigrapher to decipher it and there you have it this came in a very roundabout roundabout way to the public eye and it's important because it 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 shows you that they are writing on papyrus uh, and it shows you a biblical name that is used. This man, Ishmael, we don't know who he is. Uh, he's, he's, he's not somebody that we can say, this is definitely the Ishmael from the Bible. And I will mention that there are a few Ishmaels in the Bible. Uh, of course, the most famous one relates to the, the child, the son of Abraham, uh, that's, that he had with, with Hagar, the handmaid. Of, of Sarah, after about 10 years of having Hagar around, Sarah basically said to Abraham, I'm past childbirthing years. Uh, it's time for you to, uh, time for you to have a son, uh, go in unto my handmaid. And uh, they produced a child. And then uh, Hagar was, was, was uh, really treated horribly by Sarah. And, and she fled away into the wilderness, going back to Egypt. And at that point, God comes to her and says, "No, go back to your go back to your your uh, boss, Sarah. Submit to her. Uh, call your son Ishmael." 
And then Abraham goes ahead and calls the son Ishmael. So that is the first use that we have in the biblical text. And then the next use we have is all the way during the period of Jeremiah's time. Now, this is, I think, significant related to this papyrus because we have Ishmael being used on this papyrus, somebody telling him to send something. Uh, And so uh, from the time period of Jeremiah, and this is the period when this Ishmael in the Bible is, is very active as well during the period of Jeremiah. Now, I try to bring up this point to uh, Shmuel Achitov, the professor, and he would have none of it, and you'll see that in the interview. I think it's quite funny. Nevertheless, we do have a correlation of the name being staying around for a long time. Now, this is interesting in itself, too, because if you think of a lot of the patriarchal names, Abraham, uh, Isaac, uh, Jacob, um, those names don't really play into the biblical account later on. And yet here we have one name from the patriarchal period that is resurrected, if you like, during this time period of, of Judah. And, um, and then and this Ishmael actually is in cahoots, it seems, with, with, a, with a foreign king, which is interesting as well, uh, at least the biblical one. Um, but you see this name being used again. And then it is used one more time. Uh, in the Bible during the period of Ezra and Nehemiah in the return. So you've got three individuals in the Bible that are called uh, Ishmael, one of them from the patriarchal period, the other two later on, and one of them very specifically during the time period of, of Jeremiah. And so this was found and, and it worked its way to the United States. And then in the United States, there was someone, in, someone that alerted um, a biblical scholar about it and they said, well, this isn't a Dead Sea Scroll from the time period of the Dead Sea, typical Dead Sea Scrolls from 300, 400, 500 years after this. This is very early. This is from the first temple period. And so Edda uh, Yardeni uh, was then going to publish it, received a photograph of it, was going to publish it. And before um, that was done, uh, they died. And so um, Shmuel Achitov kind of took over this publishing process and then kind of set the ball rolling in many ways to get this papyrus back to, uh, back to Israel. And so this is going, the, the, the person that, that donated it is going to remain anonymous. That is their, their prerogative and they desire to. Um, but this here we have the third ancient uh, first temple period piece of writing on papyrus that is coming to light. So at this point, I think I'm going to play this interview about the papyrus uh, that I took last Thursday, just outside of the, well, in the, in the, um, in the courtyard of the Bible Lands Museum with Professor Shmuel Achitov. Professor Shmuel Achitov, thank you very much for talking with us quickly. So you just gave a lecture in, in Hebrew about the new papyrus yes. that you're showing to the public really for the first time, uh, what you call the Ishmael uh, papyrus. Uh, what can you tell us briefly about, since you're an epigraphist, uh, briefly about the dating of this papyrus and its, uh, yeah, the dating of this papyrus? The date of the papyrus, I think it's the end of the 7th century or more of the 6th century, beginning of the 6th century, the, it's written with a cursive, uh, cursive letters, uh, joining the letters even, and uh, it was, I think, written with a, a broad stylus, mm-hmm. and 
too much ink. <laughs> so it's uh, some of the letters are curious, uh, like the tough, uh, which uh, bends a little. Uh, so some people may perhaps won't be happy with it. Okay. It's, uh, that is, but uh, there's not much information. Uh, says uh, don't send to Ishmael, don't send and uh, uh, cry after him and uh, don't be of any use or something else. That's all. It's uh, the papyrus. Uh, the last one is really the last line, but uh, the first line uh, perhaps is not uh, the first one and it's uh, cut or even cut or torn. And the beginning and mm -hmm. the end. I've heard and I've read a lot about this over the past couple of days. Your yeah. good friend, as you talked about just then, uh, Christopher Ralston, said that we should tap the brakes on whether this is this is a real papyrus from that or a fake. What can you tell us about that? I can't tell you that it was vote from Kandu. Kandu is the cobbler who became the seller of uh, the middleman between the Bedouin okay. and the uh, king uh, in Rockefeller. Okay. Uh, yes, and uh, he sold them in, in 1965 uh, to an American lady mm -hmm. who believed that she is buying the piece of the Dead Right. and she put it in the uh, case, yeah. Case. Yeah. Case. Yeah. Uh, frame case, yes. And with a picture of the two guys, the, the Mr. Kandu and right. uh, 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 Yusuf Saad, who was the curator of the Rockefeller Museum. Okay. And she kept it until yeah. she died in uh, 2005. And, uh, it was in the Legacy yep. and her son, uh, uh, very recently. Uh, yes, uh, recently. Um, asked his friend, he uh, was a professor of Hebrew, and told him, I, uh, Look here, I have a piece of the Dead Sea Schools. And looked at him and said, No, it's not the Dead Sea Schools since we first temple. Right. And so they photographed it. Uh, and uh, send it to other yeah, daddy, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, she included it in her book yep. that uh, was published uh, as mastery. And uh, it was finished, and she did have uh, uh, the license to publish it. Okay. Uh, so they asked me to finish the, the, the book, and uh, then it came to me. And uh, when then we found. Who is the guy? Who is right. the owner? Right. And we negotiate with him. And uh, really, the American professor from Santa Barbara told him that it has to go home. It has to go home. And really, he came and brought it. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So and he wants to be he want to be anonymous. Anonymous. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you're saying the chain of custody is pretty good. We we yes, know that. Yes. Yes. Look, uh, it glued on a piece of uh, textile. Yes. And. The papyrus was uh, carpenter for uh, uh, 
14C. Carbon and dated, yep. Yes, and it's okay. It dates to that, yes, to that time so period yes. as well. And the, and the fabric uh, was also checked ah. by the people, the experts, the women experts in there. And they say, okay, it's from the 60s. It's from the 60s as well. Yeah. Okay, so the story matches out yes, it extremely matches well. Out. Uh, we can't uh, make more uh, 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 tests right. because it will harm the right. water palace. We can't uh, take it out from the, from the fabric. From the fabric. Just one more question about the writing itself. It meant, I know you're, you're an expert on biblical names and they're used through periods. We obviously have Ishmael being used right, in the patriarchal right. time. Yeah, it's a common name, it's a common name. But then in the biblical text, I yeah. believe the next use of it is during this period in which this papyrus was written. Is that is that you correct? You think about Ishmael ben Netanyahu, son of Netanyahu, who killed the... Well, I'm saying, <laughs> I'm definitely saying, I'm saying that this name, do we do we have it elsewhere <laughs> no, in the text? No, 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 no. We don't, don't have it elsewhere in the biblical text? Don't speculate too much. Right. <laughs> it was a common name, a nice Hebrew name. <laughs> do people still use this name in Hebrew today? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not now, it belongs to different people. Not, not, not now. Well, thank you we very much. Our cousins. No, cousins, that right. Cousins are... Okay, have well, a good time too. Yeah, thank you very much. So we are very grateful to Professor Achitov for that brief interview. And we're very uh, grateful also that he speaks his mind. And he definitely does do that. And his I wish his speech in Hebrew was, uh, was available to everybody at this point. Um, however, he definitely took issue to a lot of the comments of some other of his colleagues that would like to kind of wish away this or at least present it like it's not an, an uh, verifiable uh, document from antiquity. That's what it is. And it definitely mentions Ishmael. And I think we, we have due course to to definitely at least bring to light or bring this history of the ancient Ishmael from the Bible from Jeremiah's time since he was such an interesting figure and a lot of the events surrounding his life uh, how this is right during the period of when most of Judah had gone into captivity Jeremiah is remaining uh, the king's daughters are remaining also uh, and then there is a the leadership of the state or leadership of the let's say the uh, the vassal province now of the Babylonians is given over to this man, Gedaliah, Gedaliah, and he is executed by this Ishmael, and that's by the order of King Balas, the Ammonite. And King Balas, he's somebody that has been proven. He's only mentioned once in the Bible. Uh, we have a seal impression belonging, uh, mentioning his name, a servant of King Balas that was found, uh, I think, about uh, 20 years ago. Uh, we also have this Ishmael uh, of royal seed, as it's said in the book of Jeremiah, um, a, a seal impression of his name being discovered as well. And now we have this third mention of an Ishmael, uh, or this other mention of an Ishmael from the same time period. So certainly Ishmael, I think it probably wasn't a name that is as popular, perhaps as as common as as many other Judean names. Uh, perhaps as Professor Achitov was letting on, it's not as common as some of the others, as Jeremiah, his name itself. Um, however, uh, however, it probably was a name that was in usage as well. So we don't know if we have the right guy, but possibly we do. This next discovery I want to talk about, again, is not a discovery that was made in an excavation, but rather a discovery that 
the Israeli Antiquities Authority have been on the hunt for themselves for the past almost two decades. This is referring to a coin that was minted during the Jewish revolt, during the fourth year of the Jewish revolt. So 69 CE is when this was minted. And it's funny because we were just talking I think three weeks ago with with Dr. Yoav Fahi, one of the great coin uh, experts in Israel, on our excavation on the Ophel, um, just from a couple of, of weeks ago when we concluded, and and he was t- we were talking about how we haven't found a, a in excavations a silver four year of the revolt coin. We found a bunch of these in our excavation just a couple of weeks ago, over a month ago, I suppose now. Um, that we uh, conducted with Professor Uzi Levner, the head of the Institute of Archaeology at Hebrew University. We found numerous of these fourth year of revolt coins. So they, these are coins that are minted in Jerusalem by the rebels as the city is being besieged by the Romans. And so this it captures this very last moment of Jewish freedom before they're going to go into exile uh, for a couple thousand years almost, really. Um, and so they're very precious coins. They, they speak of the redemption of Zion. That's the inscription that's written on them because they knew at that point, it used to be years uh, two, three, and or one, two, and three, talk about year two and three, I should say, talk about um, the freedom of Zion. That's what they were fighting for, the freedom of Zion. And yet at this point, by the fourth year, and the, the, just after the year, uh, the fifth year ticked over is when Jerusalem fell. Um, but by the time the fourth year comes around, you do have a different inscription. It's to the redemption of Zion because they knew the city was going to fall. It was going to happen. And they did do a lot of most of these in bronze. They're the ones that have been discovered, these bronze coins in our excavations. And we, have, we, knew, we know they did some in silver. And they haven't found any in controlled excavations. Yet this one uh, did appear and and was looted. This is a silver coin, a silver fourth year of the revolt coin. And this article, this is from the Antiquities Authority, actually. This is their press release. They said this. This is earlier last week, <clears throat> uh, last Monday. It says... Uh, uh, the quarter shekel coins from the fourth year of the revolt have not previously been found in situ in archaeological excavations. One similar coin was acquired in the 1930s by the British Museum, and about three more unofficially circulate in the antiquities black market and among various collectors. In 2002, Palestinian antiquities looters unearthed a hoard of coins from the period of the Great Revolt in the Elah Valley area. Among the coins in the hoard were a quarter shekel made of silver from 69 CE. The Antiquities Authority spent the next two decades attempting to locate the coin, during which time it passed through illicit antiquities markets in Israel, Jordan, and the United Kingdom. In London, false provenance papers were prepared to export the quarter shekel from the UK to the US, where it was offered for sale at the Heritage Auctions World Coins and Ancient Coins Signature Auction, scheduled for August 3, 2017 in Denver, Colorado. Earlier this year, the case was passed to Colonel Matthew Bogdanos, chief of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office Antiquities Trafficking Unit. Working closely together, the Antiquities Authority, that's the Israeli Antiquities Authority, and the ATPU developed sufficient evidence to execute a seizure warrant for the coin and receive the court order repatriating the coin to 
Israel. So this is, again, I really, I mean, you do have somewhat of a chain of custody there, which would show the coin... <clears throat> Uh, show the passage of the coin from excavation, though illegal, uh, to to the United States and then being repatriated to Israel. So just really phenomenal to see, uh, well, it's going to be, to see one of these fourth year of revolt coins in, in, uh, in person. I will say, if you do want to read more about the fourth year of revolt coins in general, uh, what the, the symbols that they have on them and why. We have written an article in the latest Let the Stone Speak about them. It's entitled More Rare Coins Discovered, and uh, I'll leave a link for that in the show notes of today's program. Now, the final story I want to cover today is really exciting. It's uh, one that is going to uh, stay around in the news for a while, I think, as this cave and all of its... Um, all of its uh, vessels and other artifacts, the tools, the bones themselves of the people get analyzed. Uh, this was a shocking discovery that was made by accident, really, uh, in the last couple of days. And there is a video circulating, circulating and I'm going to show you that in a second. This is a story that just came out from Ynet. I've translated it from Hebrew into English, so it might be a little bit uh, dodgy or <laughs> incomplete. Um, however, you'll get the picture from it, and then I'll show the video. It's entitled, A Burial Cave from the Times of Ramesses the Great, Containing Intact Objects, Was Discovered in Palmachim. So this is uh, just to the southeast, southwest, I should say, of Rishon LeZion, south of Batyam, uh, to the north of Ashdon, Ashkelon. <clears throat> Ashkelon. So territory of the Philistines, uh, when people would say the Philistines aren't there yet generally. Um, however, this is the, the period, uh, times of Ramses the Great, early, early, 13, uh, early uh, 13th century BCE. Uh, time stood still, a burial cave from the time of Pharaoh Ramses the Great, Ramses II, who ruled according to researchers at the time of the Exodus. We'll just throw that out right now. <laughs> um, no, he didn't. Uh, not if you believe the, the literal account in the Bible uh, regarding the dating of the Exodus. Uh, nevertheless, we'll continue. And it made do- in, and, and in it, many dozens of intact pottery and bronze vessels, just as they were placed in their place during the burial ceremony about 3,300 3, years ago, were discovered in the Palmachim National Park. The Antiquities authorities said that the vessels were burial offerings, and that way they were buried with the dead in the belief that they would be used by them in the next world. The cave was discovered by chance during works by the Nature and Parks Authority for the development of the National Park. A tractor hit a rock, unexpectedly revealing the ceiling of an ancient burial cave. Draw Citron, inspector of the Antiquities Authority, identified the space in the cave. Archaeologists from the Antiquities Authority were called to the place who descended a ladder into an incredible space that seemed frozen in time. The cave was carved in the shape of a square, and in the center of the ceiling was a pillar. So what I'm going to do now is cut uh, to this video. It's in Hebrew. It goes for about two minutes, just of, of one of the Antiquities Authority people just walking around, just shocked visibly shocked and and if you understand hebrew i'll put a, a just a link to the video itself underneath in the show notes so you can uh, just capture the wonder of these archaeologists coming across this i mean i saw it on social media uh, a couple of days ago and i was like wait what what in the world is this 
Uh, and you can see all the comments from the other archaeologists underneath there, just absolutely shocked by this discovery. So we'll cut across to that and uh, show the video now. And as we do that, I'll just continue reading from this. This is Dr. Eli Yanai, an expert on the Bronze Age from the Antiquities Authority. He said this, This is a once-in-a-lifetime find. It's not every day that you see an Indiana Jones set, a cave with dishes on the floor that haven't been touched in 3,300 years. We're talking about the late Bronze Age. These are precisely the days of the famous King Ramses II. The fact the cave was sealed and not robbed in later periods allows us, with the scientific means available today, to extract a great deal of information from the objects and from the materials that survived on them, and which are not visible to the eye, including organic materials. The cave can provide us with a complete picture of burial customs in the late Bronze Age. In the cave, mainly dozens of pottery vessels of various sizes and shapes were left. Among them, there are deep and shallow bowls, some of them which are painted red. Set bowls with a high-foot cooking pots, jug, and can clay candles, or oil lamps, I should say. Um, according to Dr. Yanai, some of the jars were produced on the coasts of Lebanon and Syria. Next to the jars, small storage vessels were found, mainly pitchers, mainly little goblets and pitchers which were intended to store and trade precious materials in small quantities. These vessels were imported from the area of Tyre, Sidon, and other port cities on the coast of Lebanon. Also, many pottery vessels imported from Cyprus were found. And then, according to Dr. Yanai, tools of this type were brought to Israel in large quantities and were common by byproducts for burials. Along the pottery, bronze arrowheads or spears were found in the cave. According to their position, they were placed in garbage made of organic material that did not survive, or bags that did not survive. Um, uh, then one final quote. The finds in the cave from Dr. Yanai. The finds in the cave date back to the 13th century, during the 19th Egyptian dynasty, the, la the days of Ramses. Uh, during this time, there was an Egyptian administration in the land. And then it talks about uh, a few other things as well from it. So amazing. You can see the, the bones as well of several individuals that were found in there. Now, unfortunately, uh, in the, just the short time period since when this video was taken, so just over the last couple of days, and before the cave was sealed, which it is sealed now, and despite, as this article says, security measures, one or more people entered the cave and reached several points. The vast majority of the, the objects remain in place, but a number of items appear to be have, to have stolen, been stolen. And so this just got uncovered, and before you know it, you've got looters already getting in there, which really does speak to, you know, the first two stories that we covered uh, on today's program about how you do have all these artifacts that are coming out of the ground and have done for the past centuries, and yet a lot of them are being uh, stolen and it takes a long time for them to be regathered. Thankfully, uh, a couple of them, well, a lot of them are starting to be regathered. That's all we're going to cover on today's program. Thank you very much for joining us today for Let the Stone Speak. If you'd like to see more of our programming, please do go to our website, armstronginstitute.org. And there's a tab there that'll take you to all the previous videos and podcasts where you can watch. If you haven't subscribed to our magazine, again, please do so by writing an email to letters at armstronginstitute.org. And there you can get the Lat the Stone Speak magazine 
again, sent to you wherever you are in the world for absolutely free. Get your free one-year subscription there. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.